Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and reporting to us live from Italia, it's the Simone Inzaghi to my Pippo Inzaghi. It's Justin Peach. Ciao, Ryan. I completely messed that one up. Good day to you, Ryan. That's the the usual. (laughs) Ciao, Peachy. The never wavering commitment of Justin Peach. Still has time to do the podcast, even when he's on holiday. How is Italia, Peachy? Italia, yeah, it's, it's lovely. It's great. I'm enjoying it. I've been to Pisa, just for reference. I've been to Pisa. I'm now in Florence. You've got to fly into Pisa. Leaning Tower of Pisa, don't bother. It's oh. it's just a tower that's slightly wonky. It's a bit like going to St. Andrews at the minute. It's half finished. That's it. I cannot, I cannot <laughs> recommend anywhere else enough. There are better places in Italy to go to. What a cynical attitude to one of the most iconic landmarks ah, in the world. Is it really that bad? It's just literally just a tower. The church next to it, or cathedral next to it, is so much more spectacular. It's lovely, a lot going um, on there. Tower's just slightly leaning. That's it. Um, is it bigger than you thought it was? No, no, so it's, it's about... <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, no, it's it's about the, um, probably about the same height as a... A riverside stadium. Uh, I'm trying to put championship spins on it, but that is as high as it can get. And as I say, like you cannot like this is a this is a failure in architecture. This is so we cannot champion it. We should be pointing fingers and going, "How the, did you manage that? That's poor." Um, have you um? How's the weather been over yeah, there? Yeah, it's been okay. We've been okay. It, it's not been it's not been rainy or thundery like it has been in the UK. I'm absolutely covered in say. mosquito bites. So it is warm. Ah. Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah. about like 12. It's not nice. Because from the pictures that I've seen, I thought you've done that thing that everyone secretly loves to happen when they go on holiday, where you've gone somewhere with lovely weather, but back home the weather is abhorrently shit because it has ultimately been that in the UK over the past few days. But I thought it was nicer in Italy. So that theory doesn't really work in this case. Yeah, we've got away with it. It's the, the weather's nice. We've been drinking outside in the evenings. We've not got wet at all. It's a little bit too hot for me, but that's just that's a personal preference. Yeah, and the architecture there just doesn't impress you whatsoever, Terrible. which, you know, <laughs> each to their own. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, it's our first round of midweek games of the season. So we're going to be talking about all of the games from the past couple of days, talk about some of the news from the past few days as well, uh, make our predictions 
as well. It is a midweek episode, so we'll be making our predictions for the weekend. And then we'll finish off with Scott High or Ryan Lowe right at the end of the show. So we'll start off with Neil Warnock, who has taken charge of his final game as Huddersfield manager. They drew 2-2 with Stoke. He announced on Monday that this game will be his final one for the Terriers. He only signed a one-year deal in June, but thats it's been fairly obvious that there's been a difference of opinion between him and the Huddersfield hierarchy about the amount of new signings needed over the summer. I think we should start off by paying tribute to the man, first of all, Justin, because what a job he has done at Huddersfield in such a short amount of time. Oh, the impact he's had is is monumental because Huddersfield were hurtling towards League One last season without his intervention. And I've said it before and I'll say it again because it's a really good way of describing it is Neil Warnock intervention in the championship is like godlike intervention in daily life. It is just, he comes in, he gets things sorted, he gets things corrected and he gets things right very quickly. That being said, we did relegate Huddersfield along with many other content creators, along with many other championship pundits, along with many other journalists covering Huddersfield. We did relegate them in February last season because they were poor. But again, it's that Neil Warnock intervention straight after the international break or just before the international break in March. They hit the ground running and they were fantastic. And they've been decent so far. I know results haven't quite gone their way this season, but they've been in every game they've played. And I think that's a testament to Neil Warnock's ability to get more out of a team than than most managers because there aren't many managers who can do that and he can. He's, he's one of a kind and um, yeah, the impact he's had on Huddersfield has just been hugely, hugely important in its recent history. Yeah, and I mean, I've made a huge deal about the strength of the squad and we'll definitely talk about that with his potential successor shortly, but they've been playing like a lower mid-table side, haven't mm-hmm. they, in terms of the points that he's accrued over this short period as Huddersfield manager. And that's incredible, really, because I just do not rate this squad at all. But because it's Neil Warnock and it's the Neil Warner magic that he can bring to a situation, he's managed to get all those players playing to a much higher level than they were before. And you're quite right, Huddersfield looked down and out and Huddersfield fans gave us plenty of stick for saying that they were probably relegated and they're more than entitled to do that. But I didn't see many Huddersfield fans at the time saying, oh, we've still got a good chance of staying up because it just looked so bleak for them, didn't it? And he's come in and even though it's ended quite sourly with him in the ownership, he has done them a favour of carrying over from what he did last season and set up a decent enough platform for that new manager to come in and... and do what they can with this squad. So, yeah, he's done a fantastic job for Huddersfield. It's um, a bit sad that it's kind of ended the way that it has mm-hmm. because it's not ended on positive terms with the hierarchy. But I think they couldn't have asked much more from Neil Warnock in a matter of months, could they? Well, it's undoubtedly a big blow to lose him, but his successor may have already been found. Reports say Darren Moore is set to take over after his departure from Sheffield Wednesday a few months ago. What do you think of that, Justin? I think it's a really good appointment. I've got a stat for you, if you'd like to hear it. Absolutely, I would. This is via HDFC Stato on Twitter. But since Chris Powell was sacked in 2015, Huddersfield have only appointed two managers with previous first-team experience. One of them is Neil Warnock, and the other one could be Darren Moore, which is absolutely incredible. When you think back to it, David Wagner, he was coaching Dortmund's uh, younger side. Jan Seawert was as well. Um, then Carlos Corbrand, 
really, really brave appointments from Huddersfield over the years. So to get someone into like Darren Moore, who's got previous first team experience, I think, I mean, he ticks a box already, doesn't he? But Darren Moore for me, yeah, he's, he's, he'd be a brilliant appointment. Um, he's he's a manager who gets his squad playing a certain type of way that benefits them. He's he's quite adaptable. You look at his time at West Brom, where they were quite a, a free flowing side. Uh, really on the front foot, they were attacking even in his early stages at Sheffield Wednesday. They were quite pragmatic, but he still wanted to play football. And then they were a little bit more direct, sort of in the in League One. Um, but Darren Moy is a manager who gets um, gets fans and uh, on board quickly, which again is is a big positive. And he's in a similar way to Neil Warnock, he'll get the club together. Uh, he'll rebuild the club sort of from the inside and then out, and then bring it all back together. If that makes sense. So I think that's what Huddersfield need, as well as a manager who's tactically pretty astute. Yeah, I think he's probably the best available realistic option they could have got. His stock is high after his success last season with Wednesday and because of his unceremonious departure. I think despite that, people forget just how good Wednesday actually were last season. They had by far the biggest points tally ever for a side not to get automatically promoted from League One and won enough points to win the league in 11 of the previous 19 League One seasons. Plus, he was a leader there. He really brought the club together and that covered up the cracks of shite ownership. Will he keep Huddersfield up? I'm not sure. That squad is just so weak and if it was going to be tough for someone like Neil Warnock to keep them up, Darren Moore's got his hands full. But I want him to do well, mainly because he's widely regarded as one of the nicest blokes in football. Plus, it would also be absolutely hilarious if he kept Wednesday up, if he kept Huddersfield up and Wednesday went down. So in that regard, I hope he does well because he's earned another crack at the championship with the job he did last season. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that he's got it. Yeah, he, des he deserves a chance. And you are right. It, is, it would be fairly poetic to, to put it in a better term <laughs> for him to keep Huddersfield up. Uh, and I think absolutely team. hilarious is a better term personally, Justin. <laughs> It just maybe just sits where we uh, uh, points to where we both sit on that. But uh, you are right. He de he deserves a chance at the championship. He deserves another chance in the championship, and um, he gets another opportunity to showcase what he can do with the with a team who is widely expected to be fighting relegation. Let's go to Southampton, who only conceded one goal, but they still lost one 0 to Ipswich thanks to a goal by Chelsea loney Amari Hutchinson. A very clean backflip as well. Sometimes players do it, and it's not the most fluent. That was probably the one of the best executed ones I've ever seen, if we're marking backflips. But it just continues this ridiculous start by Kieran McKenna's boys. 18 points from seven games. The Ipswich are going up tractor. It's coasting along. And Justin, I know you've had your scepticism about the automatic promotion credentials of Ipswich. But you've got to admit, in terms of performances, they've been the best team in the division so far, haven't they? I, I wouldn't say they've been the best team in the division. I mean, the table doesn't lie. Preston are currently top of the league, but based on performances and balance of performances, yeah. then 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 you are quite right. But I'm just trying to I'm just trying to weigh in a little bit of Preston fans because I know Preston fans will will kick off if we don't give no, them. No, what bit you're of trying attention. to do is you're trying to weigh in a bit of Ipswich cynicism, which you always <laughs> seem to have whenever we talk about Ipswich. You, of course, everyone knows I'm a bit lovey dovey when it comes to bit. Ipswich so far this season, but. That doesn't mean you've got to be sceptical about them. Just didn't embrace yeah. Ipswich Town. I don't. I don't want to embrace it. I think you've spoilt it a little bit for me. You've been too. You've embraced it and then gone a step further. You've made it a bit awkward for me. It's like you, you, we've met a mutual friend and they've hooked you for a lot more than 
I have, or I, they've hooked you and they've just given me a handshake. It's just a little bit awkward for me. That's all it is now. Okay. Going back to the question then, have Ipswich Town been the best team in the division so far? No, I don't, I don't think they've been the best team in the division because they're not collecting the most points. It's as simple as that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really throw it down to that doesn't, based on that points. Doesn't mean, that, that doesn't mean they've not been the best team in the division though, Justin, just because they've not collected but, but the most it, points. Because admittedly, even though Preston's form has been spectacular so far, we haven't looked at every single game and thought, oh, they've been the better team. No, but there's a context of every performance that you've got to bring into it, which is why Preston deserve the accolade of being the best team in the division at the moment. It's the, it's the context of every game. It's the game management. It's the going taking a 1-0 lead and defending that lead for however long they need to do it for. There's all of those elements. And, and granted, they've probably not had as hard a games as, it, as Ipswich, but Preston have accrued the most points. It's, that's, that, that's the only thing I'm going to throw in there. But Ipswich are more than deserving of their place in the top two because they have been fantastic. And I think this performance is... A little bit of a page turner for me where I go, okay, this is where I think maybe you can sustain a place, uh, a push for the top two because how defensively organised and yeah, disciplined yeah. they were, they were fantastic. Justin Peach suddenly eyeing up the <laughs> Ipswich are going up tractor. He's considering it, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it here first. For me, I've just been so impressed with how they manage games because they go ahead and just kill the game off so effectively and I think that's a really really hard thing to do even top teams with enormous amounts of talent find that really hard to do and you actually look at the squad in terms of talent there are teams better than them but that's where a top class manager comes in who makes all the difference they've got the second highest expected goals four in the division and then they've kept the four and then they've kept four clean sheets so far which is the most in the league it's incredibly exciting how well they've started. We've got to keep in mind, it's a team which has just been promoted. Mm-hmm. This doesn't happen yeah. very often, if at all, nowadays. And they've certainly continued the great form from last season. And I find it difficult to see where they're going to slow down. Of course, they will do at some point because they can't win six out of seven games all season. That'll just be bonkers. But as someone who predicted Ipswich to finish in the top two, I'm absolutely buzzing at this start. Well, you more than right, more than right to. But I mean, I finished. I predicted them to finish third, so I wouldn't be too far wrong if they do finish the top two. But you are right. There, it's all these elements. I think I was, I was looking at it. Um, uh, I think it was the goal or one of the chances. Massimo Alungo, Alungo charged through the centre of the pitch, um, and I was just like, he was signed on a free transfer. He went to Middlesbrough last season, didn't get a game, then went to Ipswich, and he was signed on a free transfer, and he's up against the midfield of. Uh, whether it's Shea Charles or Adam Armstrong and I can't remember who else was in there but that's a multi-million pound midfield and you've got this team that's been assembled on a relatively low budget not big for League One mind you but a relatively low budget but Kieran McKenna as you say he's got them playing in a in an organised fashion in a fashion that's going to get results it's going to grind results out when they need to and it's going to flip the switch and, and, and play attractive football when they need to this is what we were saying at the start of the season or what I, what I was saying specifically is they're so adaptable to their opposition it's what makes them really good and that's what probably why a lot of people undervalue them and underrate them. It's Kieran McKenna can set this team up to play whoever they want and look comfortable. Not many teams in Championship can do that. Yeah, and this is what I always go back to saying, that you can have the most talented squad in the world, but if the person who's in charge of that squad is not up to the same standard, then it doesn't really mean anything. And at this level, I just think a manager... (laughs) <laughs> your words not mine um, uh, that, that's why at this level in particular I'm, 
a good manager is just so important. Um, that obviously sounds obvious to say, but <laughs> it does go it does go a long way because a, a, a brilliant manager can turn an all right squad into something special. And I think that's what we're seeing with Ipswich right here. Three losses in a row for Southampton, but they were better here. It was like they sacrificed some of their attacking threat for a bit more defensive stability, which wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing considering how shocking they've been recently. Ultimately, they're let down by another mistake when playing it out from the back. And you can't really compensate for those individual mistakes, I suppose. They've got Middlesbrough at the weekend. If they don't win that, how much pressure does that leave Russell Martin under considering how bad Borough have been so far? I don't think it's about the win. I think it's about the performance. If it's a performance befitting of that of Sunderland or Leicester City, then yes, Russell Martin's going to be under pressure. But if it's one like this where it's narrow, maybe they get a nil-nil draw or it finishes one-nil to Borough, but they've shut up shop and created more chances, then then for me personally, I'm thinking, okay, well, you're starting to turn a corner. It's only a matter of time before you before you get that balance right. Because whilst his performance wasn't great offensively going forwards, if it wasn't for that mistake, the game would have finished nil-nil and you take a nil-nil because it was which are flying at the moment and Southampton are battered and bruised. So for me, I think it's about putting in that in, in a performance that really makes you convinced that they are heading in the right direction. Because as I say, that can completely go out of the window if if Middlesbrough win one nil, but they're the better side. So it's it's a case of get the get the performance in, get the results in, and see where we go. In a clash of the two sides with one point to their name, both their tallies were doubled. A Sheffield Wednesday Middlesbrough drew one all, a result which does very little to help either side. Really, I went into this thinking. They've had bad starts, but something's got to give. <laughs> and they were just both poor. In most yeah. cases, a better team would have won this game had they been playing either side. And that says a lot about where they both are currently. From a Middlesbrough perspective, it's a bit concerning that they've gone from playing well but not getting results to not playing well and still not getting results. In terms of progress, it feels as if they're going backwards, Justin. Yeah, it might be the case of similar to Russell Martin where they Michael Carrick's trying to tweak things to, to improve the balance of the performances because he defensively they're so open at the moment and they were in this game as well. And obviously that balance is just not quite quite hitting hitting the right notes. I, I don't know. I'm really not sure what to say about Middlesbrough because this game, they were second best for, for large spells, especially in the first half, which Wednesday dominated. And they, they did improve in the second, but they were still chasing the game. They, well, they were chasing the game they had to. Tails were up and you're chasing a goal. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a case of... Michael Carrick's clearly struggling to get that balance. When he does get that balance, there's a there's a quality drop off, which is which is a major major worry because obviously putting chances away and ensuring your team is 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 disciplined and structured enough, it just isn't there. There's just no balance at the moment. Yeah, I suppose one defence you can give Carrick is he's having to integrate a lot of new players, yeah. which is another thing I suppose you've got to consider. Another defence of him is I'm not sure how good a lot of these new players are. Lucas Engel, who's the new left-back, who they've signed for about one and a half million, has had an absolute shocker mm. so far. Emmanuel Latte-Lath, who's the new striker they've spent a few million on, has been dropped already after he spooned chance after chance in the past couple of games. And then some of the other players we've mentioned, like Morgan Rogers, for example, I just don't think should be playing for a club as with the expectations of Middlesbrough. So... That kind of gives you an indication of what Borough's recruitment has been like and why we've been very critical of it. Carrick can only work with what he's got and what he's got is a very unbalanced side. If 
Middlesbrough do continue to struggle, he's only going to come under more and more pressure. However, would another manager be able to get more out of this side? I'm not sure, simply because it is so mm. unbalanced. And Michael Carrick, based off what we saw last season, is a bloody good young manager. So yeah. I don't really know what the answer is. If you sack him, who do you get in? And I just don't see an obvious candidate out there for them to get in. Still no luck for Wednesday. They're stuck on two points. The last match they won in 90 minutes was the dramatic comeback against Peterborough in the playoff semi-final. That's how long it's been. Wow. Just in a, I saw that stat on Twitter and it blew my <laughs> mind when I saw that. Uh, we were saying at the weekend how far off a win feels for, for Sheffield Wednesday. This was better, but it still feels quite far off, doesn't it? The thing is, I'm looking at that team, Barry Bannon, Jeff Hendrick in midfield, an attacking three of John Buckley, Josh Windass, Ashley Fletcher, plus Paul Valentin at right wing back, looks a decent player. There were some good players there. The squad as a whole is pretty bad, but I think the team has enough in it to give itself a chance of staying up. I'm just not sure it will because of numerous factors, including the manager. Well, this, this is the point you're making about Kieran McKenna, is if you've got a very ordinary squad out, if you've got a good manager who can tweak things and, and get more out of them, then he's going to turn a, a poor squad into a decent-looking squad. Just don't think Isco Munez is the Isco Munez is the right man for that. That being said, this was an improved performance. You've got to give them credit for it. They did look much better, albeit a little bit chaotic, especially out of possession. But it's a, it's a positive result. But you're not going to come a, uh, come up against a, a Middlesbrough every week, are you? Where a team is so down on their not not look, but you know, face down, hands in pockets, not confident at all, that sort of thing. You're not. It's not going to. It's not every week going to come up against a side like that. So you've got to take your chances when they come, and they didn't. I think that points to maybe the lack of quality in the squad. But you are right. There are some decent players. Paul Valentin looked really good at right wing back in this game, um, which is a which is a big a big positive. But again, it's about getting that balance right and that blend right. Sometimes they are so. You know, so organised defensively or so deep defensively, I'll say, um, that they look so poor going forwards. But in this game, they were allowed to take the shackles off a little bit. They looked a little bit better going forwards, but that was only marginal. So it's one of those where it's it's difficult to really find what the balance, or, 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 you know, looking to what the balance might be for, for Risco Munoz. Yeah. Another factor would be the general atmosphere at the club, which was summed up yeah. by a protest where tennis balls were thrown on the pitch. The whole thing's a gigantic mess. Plus, there were only like 50 tennis balls actually thrown on. And it wasn't it wasn't the full scale protest that I think really sends out a message, if I'm being cynical about the whole thing. But at least they're standing up to the owners because they've got to do something, haven't they? Cardiff City made it back-to-back wins by beating Coventry 3-2. A bit of a slow start for Coventry. We'll talk more about them shortly, but it's a great win for Cardiff. They're third of the season following victory in the South Wales derby. For some reason, Justin, I've had a record number of abusive DMs in the past few days from Cardiff fans, which I I was a bit surprised about. We've not really been negative about them in the past couple of weeks but for some reason Cardiff fans have been extremely triggered um, the general theme of these messages has been along the lines of what do you think of Cardiff now and the answer is obviously not much different as I felt about them before why would that change after just two wins uh, where do you think Cardiff will finish Justin have you revised your expectations after these first seven games I was going to make a point before I get onto that is don't be surprised at abuse coming in from Cardiff fans because whilst you haven't been negative about them you haven't been nice about them either. You've been very. What have um, I said? 
You've been very cynical. I'm this, just, I was amazed that this came at me. This is classic Ryan Dills. This is classic Ryan Dills. Completely ignoring the point well, that you've tell made. Tell me, but when? It's, well, the, it's, it's the cynical point at the weekend where you're like, I don't know if this form can continue, which is, it's a questionable point. Oh, oh, wait, I, no, I, didn't, I definitely did say that because two wins from six is an amazing form anyway. But anyway, ignore that, Justin. <laughs> Have your expectations changed at all for Cardiff? I d- I'd not, not, no, they haven't. They haven't. I, I think it's more of a case of they've they've been very clinical in the last few games, which probably lends into the point I was making about you being more cynical about them. I'm not being cynical. I just think that they are they they need to sustain their form a lot longer than than a couple of games for me to be really be really convinced that they're going to push higher on in the table. That being said, this was this was a better all round performance. They were they were clinical, um, which again is not something you can say about Cardiff, but they are scoring goals this season under Pulup, which is it, which is a a big big step forward. Not a swashbuckling side but they're showing improvements in game game management and taking the chances when they come. And that's all you can ask in the early stages uh, of a side that has a new manager and virtually a new squad. Um, I think that's the the, the key takeouts there. But there are improvements, just it's slow, it's slow, slow burning, but they're a lot better than they were this time last year. Yeah, I'm not really sure what the expectations are for Cardiff fans because many of them seem to be looking a lot higher up the table than me, which I just can't get behind for before the season started I put them in a clump of five teams who I thought were the five relegation contenders I don't think they're a relegation contender now I think there are at least four teams in a much poorer state plus they've made a couple of decent signings since that prediction but since Cardiff fans are seemingly so desperate to find out where I think they'll finish I'd be amazed if they finished higher than 16th now maybe most Cardiff fans think that's reasonable but the vibe I'm getting from them is a lot think they're looking much higher in the table, which I just don't really understand. My prediction there is mainly because of the strength and depth of the squad. Plus, it would be very Cardiff-like under the current ownership for them to have a self-inflicted implosion at some point during the season. I will give credit where it's due. Performance-wise, they've done really well so far. And given the likes of Leeds and Leicester, some tough games I've been impressed with. New signing Siopis in midfield and Jamalou Collins back fit at left-back has looked really good. But I'd be lying if I were to say I had a massive change in expectations for Cardiff based off three wins, two of which were against some poor opposition. So that's why I'm still putting my benchmark for Cardiff relatively low. Uh, on the other hand, for Coventry, it's not going very well, is it? Without a win in five now, just one win so far. It's not the start I was expecting for them, Justin. It's been a bit bumpy, hasn't it? But I think that's what you expect with such a high turnover of plays in the summer. This is what I was alluding to when I was suggesting that Coventry might miss out on the playoffs is because they have virtually a new squad. And that's, that's the big thing. Um, I mean, you're looking at the last few games, four, draw, four draws on the bounce. Didn't bother me too much. But when you, as soon as you throw a loss or a defeat into that, you know, it does, it does, um, it does allude to a, a winless run of five rather than a beaten run of four, if that makes sense. But they have struggled creatively in the last two games, which is the the main concern for me. They've come up against teams that they should be finding openings with, that they've been comfortable playing against style-wise in the past, uh, two possession-based teams in Cardiff and Hull, but just not really found their way through. And the way they've been defending those those goals they conceded against Cardiff, the Carl and Grant goal, the the, the Gutas goal, Gutas goal. Really, really poor. Really, really poor. Um, and I think that's going to really frustrate 
Mark Robbins, but he's got a new look back line as well, um, because I think that's where the goals were really avoidable. Is is, is, the, is the marking, the, the standing and marking, marking and um, stopping crosses, albeit the Kutos one was a set piece. But yeah, the big concerns for me are those those little areas that are seeping in that weren't there last season and that weren't really there in the first couple of games of this season, but have started to filter in. But they're a gelling side, and that's the the, the key point you need to need to make about Coventry. Yeah, I think Mark Robbins has been and is continuing to do an unbelievable job at Coventry and I'm in no position to tell him how to run a football team. I do struggle to understand how the likes of Casey Palmer, Carl McFadden and Liam Kelly are starting games for them, though. The business Coventry did over the summer, it felt like that was a move from one era to another and starting them in particular feels like they've not completely moved on from that era. You've got two centre-halves who they spent a combined total of £6 million. They're sat on the bench. And then Yasin Ayari, who's been getting rave reviews from Coventry fans, has only started one game. So that's one thing. Another is the two new strikers not hitting the ground running. Hadji Wright and Ellis Sims cost a total of £14 million, but have one goal between them so far. It's a good thing Matty Godden is showing his best form in years. Otherwise, they could have been in an even stickier position than they are now. But I'm confident the results will come. We've got to remember... Contra in the bottom three after 15 games last season yeah. and the squad's better and more rounded now in my opinion so they'll be fine I've got no concerns about them I'm still very much eyeing up a top six place for Coventry just then let's take a quick break after that we'll talk about Preston who are still winning and Leicester who have got another three points under their belt Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the second tier podcast. Preston have won for the sixth game in a row. After beating Birmingham 2-1 to stay top of the championship, Preston have now had the joint best start to a season in championship history. Only four teams have won 19 points from their first seven games and three of them finished in the top six. The question is, Justin, how long does this go on for? Or are Preston secretly the Man City of the championship and no one's noticed? (laughs) I mean, Preston would rather be the secret Man City of the championship, but... Clearly, financial resources aren't there for that. Um, it's difficult to say without being too critical in, in a state of positivity for Preston. I think in this game, looking at this game alone, they took advantage of, of two mistakes um, and Birmingham would probably... Uh, I'd have been more impressed with Birmingham in this game than, than Preston. But 
they're, they're chipping away, they're getting results, and for that reason, they have been the best team in the league so far, uh, points-wise. I think that's the, the key point I've got to make. But I think what they're doing at the moment is they're showing how clinical they are. You, again, this time last season, when they were drawing nil-nil, winning one-nil every other game, it's a it's a major step forward. Um, and as I say, when they've taken advantage of these two mistakes, they had to because they didn't create much else uh, aside from those two those two chances. So. I think the the point that I'm trying to make is if Preston can sustain better forward play and balance it with their good defensive play because they are one of the best defensive teams in the division then sure it can it can persist but right now very hard to see it carrying on for four or five games longer. Yeah, in fairness to Preston I think their squad is looking very well rounded now. Mm-hmm. The defence was sodded last season. The Great Wall of Lancashire is what I keep <laughs> coining it, and it's even more solid now with the addition of Jack Watmore. Got loads of options in midfield. Brad Potts has been unbelievable at wing back in these mm-hmm. first few games, and Liam Miller's looked really sharp in the past couple of games. Attack would have been the big sticking point I had with them, but the addition of club record signing Militon Osmagic up front is very much an eyebrow raiser obviously got off the mark against uh, Birmingham. So the squad's looking in good shape and Ryan Lowe is an excellent manager. If I'm being honest, I would still be surprised if they finished in the top six, simply because I think there are at least six better sides. And as incredible as the six wins in a row is, I think the games have been quite even and I'm not sure six wins necessarily reflects on Preston's performances. But I undeniably think it's more of a possibility them finishing in the top six now than I did at the start of the season. I mean, you had them as your big underachievers. Yeah. I had them more top half mid-table. But even then, I wasn't giving them much chance of a top six finish. Now I look at it and think they could do. Um, Leicester won again, this time beating Norwich 2-0 at Carrow Road. Leicester winning despite basically rotating the whole first team. I looked at that squad and was like, oh God, what's happened here? But then ended up being quite a comfortable win for the Foxes. I think we've got to talk about the young lad, Casey McAteer, Justin. He's now Leicester's top goal scorer with four goals. And it's quite remarkable that amongst all these extremely talented players, many of whom should be playing in the Premier League, you have this one player, who's starting most games for Leicester, who was on loan at AFC Wimbledon (laughs) last season. I just think it's pretty impressive how well he's done, despite the overwhelming amount of talent in this squad. Well, uh, well, he's been one of the breakout players in the division so far, hasn't he? He's been fantastic. And he's got an uncanny ability of finding himself in the right place at the right time, which isn't look. It's it's intelligent runs that he's making. And I think that also lends to the style of play or the philosophy that Moreska is trying to deploy on into that team, whereby it's a lot of a lot of inside runs from the from the wingers, wing backs, etc. And it's causing a lot of teams problems. But Casey McAteer is showing that he's got this clinical edge about him uh, about him as well. It doesn't you know, you, you wouldn't have known it was playing League Two football. Um, recently he's he's been absolutely fantastic and I think as I say he's been one of the breakout players in the division and although he scored the second wasn't it um, late in the game he's as I say he's still making those positive runs to get into those play, uh, places which doesn't always happen with, with young players they, they sort of simplify the game a little bit but he's showing that he's got intelligence he's got quality as well with the chances that he's putting away Yeah isn't afraid to have a run at defenders as well and considering there is Quite a lot of competition now with the signings that Leicester made over the summer for the winger slots. Then you'd have thought that maybe he might 
go into his shell or something like that, but mm-hmm. just not the case at all. And he's been in superb form so far. I didn't know too much about him, if I'm being completely honest, heading into this season. I wasn't expecting him to still be starting after the transfer window closed. But I mean, based off how he's played so far, he certainly has been one of the breakout stars of the season. Uh, without a doubt. Sunderland are up to fourth after a 3-1 win over Blackburn. It's their third successive victory and have won those games 11-2 on aggregate. They're flying all of a sudden, aren't they, the Black Cats? Yeah, but I think it's, it's not a surprise because even earlier on in the season when they weren't getting results, say earlier on in the season, only a few games ago, but when they weren't getting results, they were still putting putting chances on a plate for players. Um, and it's just a case of it, you know, when is, when is it going to click for, for Sunderland? And it still hasn't quite clicked because the forwards, the strikers, the, the number nine, Mason Burstow, for example, still underperforming, but they're still creating chances and, and putting them away now, which is a yeah major, major positive. Really, really impressed with them because, again, Rovers, I think in this game, Blackburn, they were probably the better side in terms of the quality of chances they created, but Sunderland certainly stood up to the test and, and took theirs when, when, when they came. So that's all you can really ask. And it helps when you've got quality, star quality, best player in the league type quality in Jack Clark as well it's, 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 a, it's a major major positive but yeah I think um, for as long as they're putting their chances away Sunderland you can you can only keep praising them because they're not going to stop creating they've got too much quality yeah the most amazing thing is that they're having all this success despite not having a, stri- a striker now for effectively a whole year <laughs> and they have signed a few forwards on in the final days of the transfer window didn't they um how many of them come good i'm not sure but it doesn't really matter when you've got someone like jack clark who's playing the best football of his career so far and has really come on leaps and bounds mm. in 2023 alone hasn't he and is now for me probably one of if not the best winger in the division but look i mean the rest of the team has also been playing out of its skin dan neil has been exceptional mm. so far he had a few criticisms um, towards the end of last season but it started this season fantastically Pierre Aqua has been injured in the last couple of games but is just a phenomenal young player uh, Jude, uh, Jude Bellingham Joe Bellingham um, someone who I didn't expect to start as many games as he has done for Sunderland but has been fantastic so far and then the defence as well helps when you don't have an injury crisis like they did at the end of last season but the likes of Trey Hume Luke Nine, Dan Ballard have been fantastic yeah. so you've just got this fantastically talented team which is just working really well despite there being obvious gaps particularly up front so whatever gets thrown at them they just deal with it so well and I mean, I had Sunderland down as a top six team in our pre-season predictions. Mm-hmm. And I still think that's very much the case because the amount of talent they do have there, which is just playing exceptionally well, is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Millwall 3, Rotherham nil. I was surprised to see Millwall 11th in the table. Every time I watch them this season, I can't say I've been particularly impressed. This ended up being fairly comfortable for them, though. Maybe it's just Raoul Paul. I've seen enough of it over the years to know that a good performance can look unconvincing in a Gary Rowett team. Five losses from seven for Rotherham now, just in their unconvincing start. Even more unconvincing. Yeah, I've been called every name under the sun by Rotherham fans in the last week <laughs> because I suggested that the quality of the squad isn't quite up to scratch the championship. And unfortunately, results are showing that. And not only are results showing that, so performances. Um, I think it's a case of just maybe wising up to the team not being good enough in games and being more critical of them rather than me for, again, like Southampton, stating the obvious, but I'm not going to get on my high horse like I have with them. But 
uh, as as bluntly as it is, Rotherham needs to be picking up points, more points away from home um, than they than they do at home. The home record is is good enough for a team to stay up in the championship, but away performances just aren't. And and unfortunately, your home form is not enough to stay in the championship. You need to be winning games. And this was this wasn't a game. This was a training match for Millwall. It was so one sided. Yeah, it certainly was. You're absolutely right about that, Justin. And as we say, the performances so far have been pretty concerning, even though it's not necessarily reflected in results. They have been second best in most games so far. We'll ignore a couple of games because of some questionable refereeing decisions, Mm -hmm. but they've certainly got to play a lot better if they are to stand any chance of staying up this season. Uh, a 91st minute equaliser from Lyndon Dykes saw QPR draw 1-0 with Swansea as the crisis continues in South Wales. Still no win for the Swans. Speaking after the game, Michael Duff said, My job's not to win the fans over, my job's to win games. If they've made their mind up, they've made their mind up. I feel like winning over the fans is part of the job, or at least the job's a lot easier if you mm. do that, isn't it? It sounds like he's almost conceded that he's not going to last in this job so he's just offering out as many digs as he can before he goes it's like when you hand your notice in at a job isn't it and you just completely forget everything you're doing and you just become so not incompetent but you're just down tools and just don't give a shit basically hey, i've never done that i i've always been utterly professional whenever i've handed in my notice of course of course of course you have but you are right I mean, winning the fans, winning the fans over is is a major step into creating a success, successful team. Because if the fans aren't behind you, it's going to make it impossible, right? Yeah. It, well, it certainly makes it a lot more difficult. But uh, I mean, while it would be ridiculous to sack a manager after seven games, there seems to be an air of inevitability that he won't last in the job. And I suppose if that is the case, is there any point in delaying a decision on his future? It would be quite the turnaround at this point if he were to save his job and still be in charge in a few months' time, wouldn't it? I mean, they've got Mm -hmm. Sheffield Wednesday at home this weekend. If they don't win that, I'd be stunned if he's still in the job this time next week. Well, you're absolutely spot on. I think that's the, the key thing is if he's not getting results and performances aren't good enough or at least satisfying supporters, then... um then yeah, the, the atmosphere is going to turn turn incredibly sour if it hasn't already. Um, so yeah, he needs to he needs to get a result, but he also I think fans need to see a performance that convinces them that they're heading in the right direction because at the moment still got no idea what they're trying to achieve on the pitch, no idea at all. Gareth Ainsworth said he wants Loftus Road to be feared this season, which inevitably led to numerous QPR fans saying, yes, it is feared by QPR fans, <laughs> uh, which, which made me laugh. <laughs> Bristol City 4, Plymouth 1, Bristol City's first home league win of the season. Justin, it doesn't take much for you to get excited about Bristol City. So are you getting carried away after three wins and three draws from seven games? Ashton Gate's going to be a Premier League ground next season. That's all I'm going to say about oh it. Oh, my God. <laughs> The boring thing is, I can't tell if you're being serious or not. <laughs> there is an air of seriousness to it, seriousness to it, mainly because the recruitment was really good in the in the summer. And Nigel Pearson, for all we've criticised him for, has got a really nice blend going on at uh, Ashton Gate. Albeit they have been playing like an away side at well at home in, in recent games up until this game here. And this was a tough fixture for for Bristol City. Plymouth for a very good side, but they put them to the sword. They looked really good through, on the on the break and the counter press was, was great turnover and possessions were quick. It was incisive and it's not something that we've seen in Bristol City yet so far. They've been very pragmatic. This was a little bit more open, fluid and get at your sort of football, which 
is what I expected with the signings in the summer. So yes, I am getting carried away. Yes, I do think Ashton Gate will be a Premier League ground next season. Will Nigel Pearson be in charge? Yes, while well, putting up his middle finger to us. Oh my God. Where has this come from? Honestly, just <laughs> just a good start and Justin Peach forgets all sense of Bristol Cityness where they yes, go on a good run true. and then instantly follow it up with an equally poor run. Oh dear. <laughs> uh, Hull and Leeds played out a goalless draw. Leeds were down to 10 men for the final half hour there after Joe Roden was given two yellow cards. I think the main talking point here was a miss of the season contender by Adama Traore for Hull. Have you seen that, Justin? My God. They are harder than they look though, aren't they? Yeah, and, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's been properly fizzed across, hasn't yeah. it? Having said and, that, a professional footballer should be tucking them away all day, shouldn't he? Oh, without doubt. But hitting the post is harder than scoring in that scenario because the goal's wider than the post, right? So actually hitting the post is probably more impressive than actually scoring, albeit it hasn't had an impact on the game. I'm just trying to spin it in Armour Adama uh, Traore's favour here. That's I think hitting the post is harder. Yeah, I could see what you're trying to do, but I don't <laughs> think there's much of a defence from there. And the thing is as well, that would have been a huge win for mm. Hull, wasn't it? A massive scalp for them if they were to massive. took away that chance and hold on to the win. Um, so it just makes the miss look even worse. And finally, Watford v West Brom finished 2-2. All four goals coming in the first half. Both teams sat right next to each other in the championship table. It wouldn't surprise me if that's the case come the end of the season. Slap bang in the middle of the table. Let's have a look ahead to the weekend and make some predictions, Justin. So in each midweek episode of the second tier, Justin and I will each pick a banker, a team we think is guaranteed to win this coming weekend, as well as an outsider. So someone we think is guaranteed to win, but is well, not guaranteed, but you know what I mean. Going to win, but he's bigger odds with the bookies than their opponents. We're tracking how we do as the season goes on. One point for a correct banker, two points for an outsider. Whoever loses has to do a forfeit, which would be a CrossFit workout for myself. While Justin has to do a coach trip from Sunderland to Plymouth and back. The current score for the season is 8-5 to myself. Both Justin and I got our bankers correct last weekend, but no luck with either of our outsiders. Justin, you can go first. What is your banker? I've got my Coventry to beat Huddersfield on Monday night. I'm looking at it from the perspective that Coventry need to overturn this dud runner form they're currently on. And maybe going uh, going back to the CBS is probably going to play in their favour, albeit Darren Moore coming in or, or a new manager, maybe Darren Moore coming in. Does make that new manager bounce aspect. It's made me a little bit nervous in picking this. But for me, Coventry have got a lot of quality that I do think might edge this game. It'll be a tight game, but I think it'll be in Coventry's favour. My banker for the weekend is Cardiff to beat uh, Sunderland's beat Cardiff, sorry, on Sunday. Uh, Sunderland have been great form. I think they'll be too strong for Cardiff in this particular contest. So I'm going for a Black Cats win. My outsider for the weekend is Plymouth to beat Norwich. Norwich haven't been as impressive recently as they were in the first few games of the season. Plymouth at home as well. It's a tough nut to crack. So I fancy Plymouth to get a result at home to Norwich. And finally, what's your outsider, Justin? I'm simply getting carried away with Bristol City, so I'm going for them to beat Leicester City. And there's no order of logic to this. I'm, I'm just well in on Bristol City at the moment. I think being away might suit them in this game. Yeah, big shout from Justin <laughs> Peach with absolutely no logic to it whatsoever. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And since the last episode, Neil Warnock has confirmed he's leaving Huddersfield. We've spoken about it at length already, Justin, but I suppose the question is, what next for old Neil? He says he's not retired. So in what month do you think QPR will get him in? 
QPR or Sheffield Wednesday. I was leaning towards Sheffield Wednesday, to be honest with you. Yeah. See, <laughs> I thought Sheffield Wednesday as well, just because well, it doesn't seem like the Scabinos is destined to last in that job for too long. However, the Sheffield United factor surely rules him out of that, doesn't it? It's been a long time. It's been a very long time. What, 2008 he left? Yeah, but he's a, he's a Blades legend. He is a legend, but he's just a legend generally. So I think he there's a there's a an air of um, an air of oh, okay, we'll let Neil get away with it. And plus he's over seventy five as well, so I think that's going to play a factor in there. He's sort of he's one job away from retirement, so why not take a job where a team is destined for relegation and turn them into not relegation? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think yeah. I kind of get what you're saying. I just think QPR. Because I can see them hanging on to Ainsworth for no. a bit too long. And then they're a bit desperate and they think, oh, God, who's available? We're in the relegation zone. We've got a few months left of the season. Oh, Neil, we'll just call him up. Hey, Neil, you're right. And then it just goes from there. <laughs> I don't think Gareth Ainsworth is leaving this season. I think he's going to stay the course of the campaign. I think you mm. you just dislike Ainsworth far too much. What? I'm just saying, I just don't think he'll last in the job. Why do you have to make everything personal? Maybe it's this, you know, know, Italy's rubbing off on me. I'm I'm getting really aggressive. I'm just, I'm I'm one more episode away from the hand gestures as well. So maybe that's what it is. My God. Um, Let's go to the Telegraph who say (laughs) West Brom are ramping up their search for a new owner. The club has said being talks with parties from America and the Middle East over an 80, over a 50 million pound takeover. They're said to be intent on agreeing a deal this year. Isworth saying Guachan Lai bought West Brom for nearly 200 million, by the way. And this is what happens when you run a business poorly. You lose a lot of money, but West Brom need a takeover, don't they? So this is great news if something does come to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they, they, need, they need a takeover. If the club's going to uh, thrive this season, they need, they need new ownership as soon as possible because they can get into January and not have to have a fire sale because that's what I read in the same report is a fire sale in January might might be needed to raise funds, which is just not ideal because the club has got a decent enough squad to compete, albeit we think it's a little bit short, uh, compete to get into the top six, that is. But it's just, you know, losing losing quality players at a lower, lower cost isn't going to help them help them achieve their objectives, whatever they may be this season. So, yeah, getting a takeover done and dusted as soon as possible will mean that the club can, can reach its potential finally. Yeah, you talk about a fire sale. I don't think there's many sellable assets no. in that West Brom squad. So I'm not sure what extent that fire sale will particularly be, but uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Right, now it's time for this. Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Kiss, yes, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Lowe. This is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. Simple as that questions this week i'll be providing the questions for justin are you ready pt boy always let's go first question is this rank these nationalities on which one has the most footballers who have played in the championship this season australia brazil poland the usa Ooh, this season this season hmm i can't think of many uh I can't think of I can only think of Australian players. I'm gonna go Australia top, then Brazil, then not US not the USA. Who's the who's the other one? Poland. Then Poland, then the USA. 
yeah, that's <sighs> that's not correct. Um, actually, you've got two in the wrong place, but they're quite far off each other. Australia was top. You're absolutely correct. They're eight players for Australia. The USA has seven players really? in the division currently. Yeah. Poland, six players. And Brazil, only three players. Gabriel Sarat, Matthias Martins and Wesley at Stoke. Who are, these, who are the American players? I haven't written them down. Just, come I'm on, sure bro. you could find them quite easily <laughs> if you really wanted to. Uh, the next question is all about Jordan Rhodes. Can you rank for me uh, the most appearances he's made uh, for uh, Blackburn, <laughs> Huddersfield, Sheffield Wednesday, or all of the other clubs he's played for combined? Which one has he made the most appearances for, Justin? Wow. Uh, Blackburn, Sheffield Wednesday, Huddersfield... I'm going to go with Huddersfield, then Blackburn, then all of the other clubs he's played for, then Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, you're so close. Oh. You're so close. You messed up with the last bit. Huddersfield were top 212 appearances. Blackburn, 169. Sheffield Wednesday, 112. All of the clubs, 96. Damn it. Mm. That's a bitter, spit, uh, bitter pill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he didn't really play. For, he hasn't really played for anyone else, has he? Apart from those three clubs that we mentioned there. So unlucky on that one, Justin. And finally, since you're on your holes, rank these countries on which one was the most visited by British tourists in 2022: France, Greece, Italy, Spain. France, Greece, Italy, Spain. France, Greece, Italy, Spain. Uh, I'm going to go with. I've not seen many. Um, UK nationals out here in Italy. It's literally just all Americans and Germans. Um, that's been the okay. balance that I've seen so far. So I'm going to go Italy last, then um, then France. It's only across the road, isn't it? So it's dead easy to get to. Across the road. <laughs> then Greece, then Spain, because Benidorm. So you're going Spain top, Spain, Greece, Greece France, France, Italy. Italy, yeah. Yeah, you have completely, utterly butchered that. Uh, Spain, unsurprisingly, the most 16,000 visitors from the UK last year. France, 7,500. Italy, 4,000. Greece was bottom with 3,500. All I ever see on Instagram is UK influencers in Corfu or Bloody Roads or something. <laughs> or what's that? Kefalonia, the one that's all plastered white everywhere. Or the buildings are white. Maybe yeah, Santorini? maybe... Sa Santorini. Yeah, Santorini, yeah, not Kefalonia. Yeah, Santorini, that's the one. That's where all the couples go. But I'm surprised yeah. about France as well, actually. Hmm. Yeah, well, you've got people who will just go over there to see family and friends, I'm guessing. Uh, that's a quite, wild quite a few guess. people move to France, Justin. Yeah, that, not doubting that, but more, I would say more move to Spain, wouldn't they? Yeah, I'm surprised you put Greece so high up, to be honest, because even though you do see a lot of people going there, I didn't think it was that highly visited. Anyway... Doesn't really matter at all. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. That's been Scott High or Ryan Lowe. We'll be back again on Sunday to review all the games coming up in the Championship this weekend. So we look forward to seeing you then. Justin, what's on the agenda today for Italia? Uh, going to the Megadome, which is the Piazza. I've called it the Megadome myself. It's not the called Megadome. the Megadome. Megadome. Yes, exactly, literally what I've been doing. Going to see yeah, the, Meg the Megadome um, and then going... That's it, really, actually. There's there's not much else we've got on the agenda. We're just walking around. I'm not doing much. You had much pizza yet? No. Mainly pasta. Mainly what on pasta. earth are you doing? You've gone all the way to Italy and you had, had a single pizza. That is it's outrageous. It's such a stereotype. I am, I am 
disgusted with you that I don't want to speak to you any longer. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. It's not all pizza, you know, you uncultured swine. Second Tier is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. 